0: On today's episode of Understanding Immigration, remittances
1: The fact that we have that much capital exiting the United States economy without being taxed is pretty remarkable.
2: Their government actually encourages them, if they've gained any kind of marketable skill, to leave, to go to the United States, to make money there, and then to send that money out of the U.S. economy back to their home country. You know, illegal aliens are not only entering
0: the country working illegally, but then they're taking their earnings and then sending it overseas back home with Really, no resistance.
2: Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Spencer Raley. I'm FAIR's senior researcher, and I'm joined as always by Preston Hennekins from our lobbying department and Matthew Tregesser from our media team. If you're one of our loyal listeners, welcome back. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, our aim is to educate our listeners on a wide array of important and high-profile topics in the immigration world. We managed to record our first two, I believe, our only two episodes of this podcast in studio. And due to the shutdown stemming from COVID-19, we've been recording remotely for nearly two months now. However, we're still excited to bring you an informative and fully loaded episode. Today, we're going to be talking about remittances. Uh, We will discuss what they are and, more importantly, how they impact you, our listeners. So, Matthew, let's start with you. What exactly are remittances and who are the primary players?
0: Right. Thanks, Spencer. So, remittances are money earned in the United States that is then transferred to relatives or friends, Uh, Business associates who are abroad and these payments are made by US citizens lawfully present aliens or even illegal aliens believe it or not And this is typically done these payments because the US dollar is stronger than a lot of currencies in other countries, especially in developing countries and We see typically about hundred and fifty billion remitted annually from the US to countries abroad and this is done by at least 45 million uh, foreign-born individuals in our country And so the concept of remittances and remittance payments goes back more than a century. Um, In fact, the first formal remittance reforms occurred in 1901 in Italy, and the Italian government wanted to create official financial institutions to protect remittances from kind of untrustworthy uh, middle people. Um, So that's kind of when we started to see these remittance payments to, to finally finalize and formalize. Uh, But they really exploded in the early 2000s. If you look at World Bank data or IMF data, um, and this can be attributed to a variety of factors, including globalization, or just increased global migration and integration. Um, One could argue that it's due to global income inequality, the the growth of that. And so people are looking for additional streams of revenue. Now, if you're a listener out there, you may be thinking, okay, so what's the big deal? Uh, Someone makes money, and then they send it overseas to someone else. Uh, but there are actually a lot of issues with remittance payments right now, at least in the United States. Uh, The first being that they're not subjected to taxes, uh, most taxes including sales taxes, excise taxes, or uh, any overseas wire transfer tax. So there's a big loss in tax revenue. Remember I said that we remit about $150 $150 billion annually, so that's a huge loss in tax revenue. Uh, Second is this money is not really spent on goods and services in our own country if they're being sent overseas somewhere. So we would rather have all this money, or at least most of it, spent in the US economy at some capacity. And again, it's another revenue loss. And third, you know, illegal aliens are not only entering the country working illegally, but then they're taking their earnings and then sending it overseas back home with really no resistance. And so yeah, we have a lot to dive in today, um, and then we're gonna expand on these issues more. So let me hand off to you, Preston. Um, what countries receive the most remittance payments from the U.S. and how is it generally affecting their economies? So it's interesting. There's a lot of good data out there from the World
1: Bank who tracks uh, remittance payments. Um, they track countries, their share of their GDP that comes from remittance payments, and so that's a very interesting distinction. So, you know, the top countries that actually receive the most in remittances are India, Mexico, uh, and the Philippines. Um, they get billions of dollars a year from people abroad who send money to people in those countries. Um, and it's really, you know, that's not terribly surprising. Um, obviously, India, um, Mexico, and the Philippines are, are large countries um, with large uh, populations living, you know, overseas. Um, so that those are the, the countries that have the most Remittances, but if you look at the share, the countries whose share of their total GDP um, is affected by remittances the most, that's really interesting. And you know, for our purposes, it's interesting to look at Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. So Mexico, uh, their share of uh, their GDP share of remittances is only two point nine percent, which is very low. Um, and that's not terribly surprising because Mexico has the 15th largest economy by GDP. You know, it's, it's hardly, you know, a backwards place. It's, you know, a very modern economy. But if you look at El Salvador and Honduras, El Salvador's, um, remittances make up 20.7% of their GDP. In Honduras, it makes up 19.9%, so almost 20%. Um, And that's really remarkable. That is a huge part of their national economy that is coming simply from people sending money uh, from overseas.
0: Right. I I think that's something that really I, I don't think people are aware of, especially in the Northern Triangle countries, is how much of these remittance payments are propping up their economies. And I think... In part, that's why we're seeing such huge waves of uh, migration to the U.S. border. Obviously, not now, not as much as you know May's peak of 144,000 illegal alien apprehensions uh, last year. But in large part, it's you know people can migrants can obtain a job legally or illegally in the U.S., earn cash, and then send it overseas with little resistance. And resistance meaning you know some type of tax, and yeah it's invading the US economy and it's going back uh, just to, to these countries overseas
1: A lot of people think of this as an issue only for illegal immigration, but it's not at all because this and you know not, not even immigration at all you know you could have citizens you know American citizens that still have family overseas who are sending money overseas so uh, like you said the you know the fact that we have that much capital, exiting the United States economy um, without being taxed is uh, pretty remarkable.
2: Yeah, and just kind of adding a point to that as well, a, a number of these countries, they because they rely so heavily on remittances as a percentage of their GDP, they're actually putting infrastructure in place to encourage more. Some of them actually release guidelines on how to send money most effectively back to the country. And what it does is it creates a kind of vicious cycle where a lot of people inside of these countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, uh, and many others, become highly reliant in those that develop uh, an ability, either through education or some, some sort of other trade skill or something like that. It's more valuable for them to actually leave the country and go to the United States and send large sums back to their home countries just because they can earn a lot more for it. So you kind of end up creating this increase, this this system that feeds an increase in income inequality where those that are still living in one of these uh, third world countries like Honduras aren't able to make a lot of money and their government actually encourages them if they've gained any kind of marketable skill to leave, to go to the United States, to make money there, and then to send that money out of the US economy back to their home country. Right. And
0: that actually you know, kind of creates a brain drain effect. You know, if these countries, especially the Northern Triangle, are suggesting to their citizens, hey, if you have uh, skill, high skills, um, if you're highly intelligent, please go to the U.S. or, you know, another developed country and, you know, earn cash there and send it back to the country or country. But the thing is, you're losing the top percentage of your population. And, it, it, you know, for a country to really grow, you're going to need these people to be back at home. And you can't just, you know, keep sending them off to the US and not having them at home and developing their their society in that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of building on this a little bit, you know, when you look at these systems that are encouraging migrants to come to the United States and send this money out of the economy, it's easy to often just look at it from the angle of well people should be able to do what they want with their money and for the most part that's true i think we'd all largely agree with that but the overall intent that drives immigration in the united states is to benefit not only those that come here but we try to design it so that it benefits the united states so that we fill gaps in our economy so that we can you know act in a humanitarian way to those that need it. But ultimately, the design of immigration is to benefit the United States and for migrants to aim to assimilate into the United States. And neither of those goals are served when migrants are working so they can send as much money as possible out of the country, as much as they can afford. Not only are you seeing uh, money that's not being spent in the U.S. economy, which especially in times like these with the COVID-19 pandemic, pandemic we need as much money reinvested right. into our economy as possible but it also harms states and mo- and more importantly it, it harms a lot of local uh cities counties places that have excise taxes sales taxes you know money that would normally be spent l- at the local level is being sent out of the country now these migrants of course are still living in these cities so they're consuming services whether you know it's fire, police services, things like that. They're driving on roads. But a lot of the taxes that would go to upkeeping those services are leaving the country. So in that way, it's, it's really creating, uh, it can create a strain on cities and counties and states uh, to provide resources that they need to provide to their, to their citizens and to these migrants whenever the aim and goal is to send as much money as possible out of the country. Right. And so let me ask you or
0: or Preston or both, you know, what can we really do to address this issue? Because I really don't see this talk about in the media. It's not really mentioned in Congress too frequently. Um, what can we do to ensure people's earnings are not entirely restricted, but also make sure that,
2: hey, we're not getting ripped off as a country and losing $150 billion annually? Well, there's, there's a lot that can be done. And I think Preston will get a little bit to some of the uh the legislative things and things that states are doing to combat this. But one thing, and you touched on this, you touched on this a little bit, Matthew, is illegal aliens tend to remit twice as much as lawful migrants and citizens. In fact, FAIR did a study on remittances a couple of years ago, and we found that illegal aliens are remitting an estimated $28.8 billion every year. And that that's a lot of money. And the reason they end up often remitting more than lawful migrants is, is really kind of twofold. First of all, they typically aren't planned migrants and that they don't go through a legal system. They don't put a lot of infrastructure in place to come to the United States. So they rarely bring their whole families. They often are taking uh, whatever job they can take. And then their aim is to send money back to their families to support them or even to you know bring them to the United States once they can afford it. So... Combating illegal immigration, whether it's removing job incentives, you know, building the wall, anything we can do to uh, combat illegal immigration will help uh, reduce the amount of money that's being sent out of country, out of the country, but even at a higher rate as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up that it really hasn't been discussed in Congress because it hasn't. Um, even though organizations like ours have been clamoring for for this for years, uh, there's been very little interest in, in you know, having a, a federal, you know, tax on remittances. But um, that actually changed after the election um, of President Trump. Uh, you know, he obviously had a big, you know, big ideas for the wall and where that money was going to come from. And one of the ideas was to fund it using the fees from the remittance tax. And there was a proposal um, in the 115th Congress um, from Representative Mike Rogers out of Alabama called the Border Wall Funding Act of 2017, which it would have put a 2% remittance tax on a list of countries that had high irregular migration to the United States, um, which I think is is. It's a step in the right direction. I think it's wrong to target certain countries and not others. Um, for instance, you know, India and China were not on this, on this list of countries. Uh, and we, you know, there are, you know, they have nationals in the U.S. who send, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars back every year. So it, it was a step in the right direction, but that was certainly. Um, needed to change that it would be applied to all remittances and not just, uh, you know, certain countries. Uh, And then in the 116th Congress, the current Congress, um, there's H.R. 85, um, Fund and Complete the Border Wall Act from Andy Biggs out of Arizona uh, and 13 co-sponsors, which would actually put a 5% fee on foreign remittance transfers. Um, And that would go into a special treasury account. Um, that would be used to fund uh, the border wall construction uh, and five percent is is pretty large um, that's larger than what the normal proposal is which is about two percent and uh, mm-hmm. Oklahoma you know in Oklahoma, Oklahoma the state of Oklahoma has had a statewide remittance uh, remittance tax for a number of years um, and that is actually only a one percent. Um, fee on on those remittance payments. Uh, and it's brought in over $12 million in fiscal year 2016. And that state sees collections growing by about 10% every year. So it's certainly doable. And we've seen it very successful in Oklahoma. Uh, and they use that to fund you know, and to help fund a variety of different state programs.
0: Right. I think that would be you know the goal is to have maybe a, a federal tax or maybe just you know, somehow get just more than Oklahoma, placing a tax on these uh, wire transfers. I mean, you, we would just see, like you mentioned with Oklahoma, I mean, the revenue growth that, that it would bring the country. I mean, especially at a time like this with, you know, record unemployment, um, just the economy really tanking. I mean, this is a an easy way, I think, just to bring in revenue and help build infrastructure give uh
2: potentially cash more into american pockets i mean it's it seems like a win-win yeah and just to kind of build on that a little bit there's one thing that uh i don't think it's been proposed by in any in any type of legislation at least at least not recently impressed you could correct me on this if i'm wrong but a lot migrants as a whole tend to consume welfare programs at a higher rate than U.S. citizens. And we, we found that that's, you know, even illegal aliens to a large extent are taking part in programs as well. And, you know, one thing that could be considered is that for those migrants who remit large portions of their money to other countries would become uh, ineligible to partake in these welfare programs. Because, honestly, it's... Uh, It's bad enough that American taxpayers are being uh, asked to provide welfare for foreign nationals in the United States, and it only adds insult to injury when our state, local, and federal governments allow income that could be taxed to not only leave the country, but also for these migrants to receive some, to take part in some sort of welfare program as well. So that would be another way that you could potentially address this issue. And if nothing else, recoup some of the money that's being that's being lost as a part of it. Yeah,
1: at the end of the day, we're talking about, for the government at least, free money that is just flowing out of the country. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable that there is a source of revenue that the federal government has not found
2: a way to tax yet. Or at least doesn't have <laughs> the,
1: the stomach to tax. It's pretty remarkable, actually.
2: Yeah, it's a really good point, Preston. I mean, it seems like for any any source of revenue that the government can find, they often try to find a way to tax it, but they haven't. They haven't, they haven't tried that with this yet. Well, great stuff as always, y'all. I, I think that's probably about all the time we have for today. Uh, so we hope that everyone's enjoyed today's episode and perhaps learned something new about remittances. Uh, We'd like to invite you to join us next time. And as a reminder, we'll be releasing a new episode every other Monday. And as a personal favor to the three of us, please recommend Understanding Immigration to your friends. Uh, You can share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform you're a part of. And episodes are available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And you can visit our website, fairus.org, and our Twitter feed at at fairimmigration to access podcasts as well. We hope each and every one of you are continuing to stay safe and sound. And until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.